Well, it is week number two. Actually, it's only been one week, but this is episode number two. Who knew, huh? Who knew? It's actually a podcast. Turned out to be a podcast after all. I had some doubt going in last week about whether or not I would put this up. But seriously, you know, I was most likely going to put it up. Put it out there. Make it into a real thing. Because <sighs> if I weren't going to do that, then why do this at all? I take that back. I've done this in uh, the form of writing. Writing a journal. That's what this is. Uh, ostensibly. It's like writing in a journal. Although, it's uh, writing in a journal that's going out to three other people. Thanks to those three people, by the way, I was surprised. I really, I did get a reaction from a few people on Facebook that listened. Two of them said they listened all the way through, and I believe them. And one other said that he had listened uh, partway and then fallen asleep, which is fine, because I thought, hey, you know, whatever purpose this serves, I'm, I'm all for it. It's mostly therapy for me. Even though I've said on many occasions, both on and off the microphone, that I'm not into therapy, I have to refine that and say I'm just I'm not into the kind of therapy where I go somewhere and pay somebody to talk to them for an hour. That kind of therapy I'm not into. But I'm into this kind. I'm into the kind where I maybe sometimes stare at myself in the mirror and look deep into my eyes and wonder what it's all about. So romantic. And now this new thing that I've started, and it is, I say officially, a podcast, because not only did I put it up on my website at palin.com, but I also jumped through the hoops, both technically and administratively, to get it up on the iTunes store. That's a little bit of a thrill. Even though I've, got, I've had my music up there, I put, uh, I produced a CD and put that up there uh, several years ago. In fact, 2008 to be exact. And when, when I first saw that appear on my big TV, on the Apple TV, on the iTunes store, I, I cried like a little bitch. I cried like the little bitch that I am. It was an emotional moment because I'd been writing songs since I was 16 and then there I was at 48 years old finally not only uh, completing the process of going into a studio and recording the songs but also putting it out there. That's That just, it it got me. This time... I didn't do the cry like a little bitch thing. I was, I was, uh, I'm not going to lie, it was, it was kind of neat. I kept checking iTunes, both on my browser and on, on the big screen, <laughs> on the Apple, Apple TV, just to see if it had appeared. And when it did, that was cool. You know, it makes it kind of legit. But let's talk about expectations, shall we? One of the big differences between 2008 and 2014 in my life is that in 2008, I had these expectations that I would put my songs out there and thousands of people would buy them just by sheer, you know, running into them, just by chance. That's how I thought it worked. I figured there were so many millions of people going on iTunes and buying songs that me and my little CD at the end of that long tail, I figured, you know, come on. Just the, I'm a math guy. I got a math degree. I like math. I did the math. (laughs) I did the math. I don't like that expression, but we'll go with it. I just figured, you know, just, just probability would take over. 
and there'd be enough people that would stumble into my music and, and buy it by the thousands. Well, that didn't happen. So, of course, I was disappointed because my expectations weren't reached. I've sold some, you know, relatively a, a handful. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, there have been several people who actually intentionally bought my songs. And the reason I say intentionally is because there's also a, a thing that happens with streaming that uh, when I go check the stats and see how much money I got coming my way, I, I'm also getting people listening to my songs on Spotify, which yields a fraction of a cent every time somebody listens. And that adds up for somebody who's actually an artist, you know, who's actually somebody who's performing. And, oh, sorry for the little noise there. I'm, I'm, I'm really mindful this week because last week I was using the, uh, the ear pod, the ear pods in my, uh, for my iPhone. And I had the microphone dangling uh, along my, <laughs> along the side of my face. So it was scratching up against my beard. That was annoying. But I didn't want to not... Uh, I didn't want to let that prevent me from putting the podcast up. Because I thought, hey, come on. Every every show has glitches. Shows I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And uh, they have glitches all the time. Sometimes their recorder f- fails or... Uh, or they're, they're in a room that's too echoey, or just, just things happen, right? So, part of this whole thing is, <sighs> i got to take a breath. Part of this whole thing is that I'm just going to keep doing this. I really, feel, I really feel enthused about this, because... Um, well, like every human being, I go through bursts of creativity and then bursts where I don't do stuff creative or creatively. But this feels like something I can hang with as long as I set my expectations at a certain level. Here was my expectation going in, and this is no lie. I expected nobody to listen. And that might not be the greatest attitude in life. Having no expectations is... Uh, it can sound negative, right? It's like, wow, yeah, I don't expect, I don't expect anybody to listen to this. It could be uh, setting yourself up for failure, because you know, if you have no expectations, then you know, what's the point of even doing something? But another way to look at it is, if you have no expectations, at least on the results end, I have no expectations about any results that are going to come of this. And that's where the magic can happen because that means I'm not focusing on things like marketing or uh, what other people are thinking or just any of that external stuff. I'm not focusing on results. I'm focusing on this, this moment. That's what I'm doing now. And the hardest thing I've had to do this week was not preparing because because, uh, well, it's it's not that there's some rule out there in the world that says I, I shouldn't prepare. Uh, surely there are plenty of people doing podcasts who have a, a list in front of them of things they want to talk about. Or most often they have guests. That's most that's the podcast that I listen to most often uh, have guests. And maybe someday I would do that. I don't know. I'll see where the wind blows me. <laughs> uh that didn't sound quite right. <laughs> Just proving that I haven't planned this out. But speaking of the wind blowing, or other metaphors for just, you know, there is a case of sailing. When you're sailing, you, you pretty much got to go where the wind takes you. Now, that's not exactly true, though, because you gotta, you got the sail. You can go against the wind. You can tack. I, I did a little bit of sailing, not much, but... I know you can tack back and forth and you can go against the wind and you have some control over what's happening, but if there's no wind, you're not going anywhere. And same thing with uh, with surfing. You know, you can't ride a wave that's not there. And it's also best... Surfing is a great, not only a metaphor, but I know, I'm, again, that's something I haven't done much. I've body surfed, but I haven't actually gotten up on a board very often. But I do know this, that... Surfing is a great exercise in being in the moment. 
and somebody people who are really into surfing there's there's a reason why they're so laid back why they have this tendency to kind of be a go with the flow kind of people because when you're surfing you got to be riding that wave you got to be in the moment riding that wave there's other ways to get into that flow experience you know playing uh, other kind of sports I'm trying to ignore the dog barking in the background because I don't know if you can hear it, but, you know, if a dog's barking in the background, that's just part of the ambient ambient sound of city life, right? It would be country life, too. Except I wouldn't have neighbors if I lived way out in the country. Their neighbors would be further apart, and I wouldn't have a dog. I am not a dog person. I try not to get mad at the dog when it's barking because I realize that, uh, you know, it wasn't the dog's choice to be locked on the balcony or whatever else is making the dog bark. Yeah. I, I, try, to, uh, I try to even stay away from being too upset about that kind of thing anymore. Uh, which is one of the other things that I was uh, thinking about throughout the week. Although I'm trying, I'm trying not to rehash the kind of um, kind of de facto practice I had throughout the week. You know what? That's bothering me enough. Where I think uh, I'm distracted. I'm going to go in the bathroom while it might be more echoey in here. At least I can have a little more privacy. Perhaps not hear the dog as much. So let's sit this down here. We can hold it. I'm going to hold it. I am going to hold it. All right. I was going to say where was I, but it doesn't matter where I was. Where I am is now. Because this thing that I'm doing here, and one day maybe I'll stop talking about the fact that I'm doing this and I'll just talk. But, you know, at some point, at some point it's natural to go meta, right? I mean, it's it's not just about a, a podcasting or, or talking for an hour, but um, sometimes when you're doing things, you're, you're not only doing the thing you're doing, but you're thinking about that thing you're doing. That's generally not a, um, a flow experience, though. A flow experience, should I mention every time I take a drink? I feel self-conscious. I, I'm drinking, uh, taking a sip of water, and I'm thinking I have to mention that because there's dead air. <laughs> but that's probably good. Probably good that there's some dead air. Now I'm becoming self-conscious about my breath and about the noises my lips might be making. And those are the kind of things that are not an example of the flow experience. When you're in the flow, you're not thinking about those things. You just are. You just, you're just being. You're just in the moment. And that's why, at least my plan for now and into the foreseeable future with this, is that I'm using it as therapy for me. In, in that I want it to be an hour of me skiing down the mountain. Of me just surfing the wave that's there. Not planning ahead of time. Just like some of the best conversations you have with people aren't planned ahead of time. In fact, most conversations aren't planned ahead of time. There's times, I think most of the conversations that I've planned ahead are the ones that are probably not uh, going to be pleasant ones. It's a confrontation with a boss or with a, in a relationship. and they, So this tape runs in your head of all the possible scenarios and what, okay, then they said this and I said that, and you know, which it never works out exactly the way you plan, but I guess, you know, there, at least that exercise is useful. At least you're, you're planning for the scenarios of what you might say and responses in the conversation, but really the, the best conversations you ever have are not going to be planned ahead like that. It's it's going to be, you, you go have lunch with a friend or or, you're, or it's two or three in the morning and you're 
uh, laying in bed with your significant other or you're just hanging out with your kids and and next thing you know you're just cracking up and you're carrying on and, and just it, it you get into things deep things sometimes it's silly things but those things aren't planned ahead of time and it's, it also reminds me of a, at work um there's sometimes there are, <laughs> uh cuz uh doing software engineering there's sometimes where the uh, boss will be ignorant of the concept of of a breakthrough and this isn't just about uh, software engineering it's about anything you can't plan a bla- uh, breakthrough you know a breakthrough is something that you're lucky when it happens but all I, I do know is you have to keep plowing ahead until you get a breakthrough but you can't plan a breakthrough sometimes you plow ahead and plow ahead and plow ahead and you're not getting a breakthrough then you got to stop and turn around go the exact opposite direction the 180 degree rule I haven't thought about that one in a while. I, I, I mainly think about that when I'm working on writing code, but that applies to a lot of things in life. Sometimes, if what you're doing isn't working, do the exact opposite. Do the exact opposite. 180 degrees. Sometimes that works. Or it doesn't. Then you can turn back around and go down the path you were going down. And then maybe it'll work because you come at it with a fresh perspective, right? So this thing. The hardest thing I had to do this week with respect to this, and I I don't think I've talked about this yet. I somehow feel like I have because I, I was running through my head all week. The hardest thing I had to do was the not planning part. Maybe I did mention it. Oh, boy, this is funny. I don't know if I mentioned it. 15 minutes ago, or, or not at all, or if I was thinking about it in the shower before I turned the recorder on. But the not planning part. The part where I just say, look, I'm going to go down this mountain and see what happens. I, I was listening to um, the WTF What the Fuck podcast uh, with Mark Marin, and I finally subscribed. Because it's like, it's... $8.99 a year. And I've been listening to him a lot. And most, if not all, podcasts are free. At least for a certain number of episodes. But there's certain people who've been around long enough and they're successful enough at it uh, where they're able to, if not make some money, at least recoup some of their costs. Because, you know, if, if they get really successful, <laughs> they're, they're, it ends up costing them money because it's bandwidth you know, not only do they need uh, to host host the files, but they need to pay for the bandwidth. But the point being, with Mark Marin, is I like his approach. And it's not so much that I'm trying to emulate him, because, well, for one thing, he's uh, he's got guests. But there's a portion of his show where it's him talking. And, I, you know, some of it I, I gather that he's planned a little bit ahead of time. It could be the illusion of spontaneity, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's the, the main point is that he's just being real, and he's being himself. And that's something he's been cultivating for years. I mean, this guy's been doing stand-up for, God, probably 30 years. So it's not like I'm just going to be able to do what he's doing. And not only has he been doing stand-up for all those years, but he started his podcast five years ago, and... He's done over 500 episodes, 500, man, of, you know, an hour, give or take. That's amazing. So I, I got to keep reminding myself, and I'm going to remind myself right now, that this thing I'm doing, I'm feeling like I'm getting the sophomore blues on episode number two because I'm going, oh, no, am I going to be able to do this again? I talked for an hour last week without hitting the pause button, unedited, am I going to be able to do it again? And the answer is yes. I know I can. Because for one thing, all I really have to do is just keep talking. Something's going to happen. 
I could repeat some, the same phrase over and over again if I wanted to. I could just say, poopy diapers, poopy diapers, poopy diapers. Right? I could say that for an hour. <laughs> Proving to myself and to anybody who happened to tune in that I really don't give a shit. <laughs> that could be it. That could just be the ultimate proof. I could just for an hour say poopy diapers over and over again. The point is, where's the pressure? Where is the pressure? I'm watching the VU meter right now, just trying not to pop my voice into the red, which, you know, that's something to remain conscious of. That's one part of this exercise. But is it an exercise? Or is this the thing? If it's at least a thing, it's something that I'm doing. Will I like doing this next week, next month, next year? Will I be able to sustain 500 hours of talking? Talking to myself? Maybe. People go to therapy. People go, some people go to therapy every week. Some people have been going to therapy every week for years, maybe 20 years. And even uh, though therapy is technically talking to somebody else, and in essence, you're really talking to yourself. The therapist is there as a guide. I may be oversimplifying a bit. But essentially, the therapist is really there to get you to talk about things. Say stuff like, how does that make you feel? And why don't you tell me more about that? Let's get deeper. Come on, don't hold back. Now, I don't mean to diminish therapy. I, I think I mentioned that last week as well. It's not that I want to ridicule it. It's just not for me. I don't feel the need for it. Who knows? Maybe I could go through something at some point in my life where I do feel the need for it. But at, at this point, I don't think so. Because I've made it through the death of my mom. She died over 10 years ago. Worst thing that ever happened to me. Worst thing I ever had to go through. And I didn't need therapy. Now, that's not patting myself on the back. It's just, I, I think it's be probably because I've gotten in the habit of doing this to one extent or another in my entire life. Not exactly sitting down and, and talking for an hour, but, but I'm not afraid to, to dive in. I'm not afraid to go, go deep. And, and not that this, what I'm doing right now, is necessarily deep, but when the time comes, I, I want to go there wherever there happens to be. So, it's not that I don't need therapy. That's wrong. I do need therapy. I'm doing therapy right now. This is therapy for me. It just happens to be me sitting in the, in the bathroom now to get away from the barking dog. Me sitting in the bathroom Yes, I'm on the toilet. Where else am I going to sit? I, I could stand, I guess. <laughs> I could. I was doing that earlier this week, too. I was. Um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that sometimes I'll just look at myself in the eyes. Just, is it, I don't know, it's, it's just, another, just another trick or just another technique, whatever it is. It's, it's just another way to, to kind of go deep. To just kind of to look, look at yourself, look at myself right in the eyes and just go, what is going on with you? Right? Could be a negative thing. It could be because I'm dealing with a problem. I haven't done that in a long time. It was really only that I did that this week because I was uh, actually trying my best not to prepare for this podcast. And at some point during my not preparing, I was doing some kind of exercises. I was talking to myself and looking in the mirror. And I thought, hey, you know, who knows? Maybe um, maybe that's something I could do during a podcast. That could change that would change things. Right now I'm looking at the VU meter. 
I could also close my eyes. I could lay back on the bed as if I really were in therapy. I could. I could pretend there's a therapist there. <clears throat> All kinds of things I could do. Right now I'm choosing not to look at myself in the mirror. I'm just going to keep doing this thing that I'm doing. And try not to have that that terror. Oh no, the terror. I'm going to run out of stuff to say. One day, maybe I'll find... Maybe I will. Maybe I will run out of things to say. But that's doubtful, because even this, like right now, every time I run out of something to say, I just talk about the fact that I'm running out of something to say. And then eventually, i got to know that just like uh, going down the mountain, as long as I keep moving my mouth and breathing and, and making noises, I'll think about something else to say. Or I could stall and have a sip of water. Here's something. As I was looking, uh, I finally subscribed to Mark Marin, And I say finally because I have been listening to him for a long time, but I hadn't sent him any of my money. And I thought it's about time. <coughs> but the bigger motivation was the selfish one. It was the selfish one that he... Um, his iTunes, that's it. Because iTunes only makes the like the last 50 episodes available. And then when you go to uh, Mark's website, he's also got uh, a certain amount that are available for free. And then there's the business model that says, okay, if you've liked enough of my stuff, how about forking over a few dollars and you can get some premium content. And I wanted to go back to episode number one. And it seems like he's been doing a lot longer, but I guess in the in this day and age, when you consider that even the iPhone itself is only seven years old, and even though uh, the web has been around now for 20, uh, 20 ish years, the idea of uh, of these popular podcasters like uh, Mark Maron and Adam Carolla, and then even more recently, in just the last few years, uh, uh, Chris Hardwick, my boyfriend. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about with the boyfriend thing, you can listen to the first few minutes of episode number one. Um, or I could re-explain it now, but I'm not going to. Listen to the first three minutes of episode one. Hear my beard scratching against the microphone. <laughs> so Mark Marin, Turns out, coincidentally, I look back, episode one. Episode one, five years ago to the day that I started my podcast. August 31st. I just, I just thought that was an interesting alignment of things. No, that's it. It's interesting to me. I just like stuff like that, being a math geek. I like when there's a synchronicity or when, you know, numbers like that line up. I didn't know. I just, I got this urge. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And then I got the urge to do it. And I turned on the recorder. And I recorded and I upload. And I jumped through the hoops on iTunes and all that. And then I come to find out that I started five years to the day after Mark Maron started. I just thought that was kind of cool. Nice coincidence. <clears throat> so I was listening to some of his episodes. And, and I'm going, you know, he's obviously got a different tone. It's not that it's all negative, but he, he tends to be a lot more, um, he, well, one thing he does do positively is he definitely is not afraid to, to get personal and to reveal himself. It's definitely therapy for him and for me and a lot of other people listening and for his guests. I mean, he, he goes very deep. But but there is all, still that side of him uh, that... It tends to be maybe a little bit more complaining about stuff, which and I see. I'm I'm even pulling back now. It's not even so much that I'm ridiculing him and the tone of his show, but when I was thinking about what do I want my show to be, I want it to be the best of me. 
And it's not to say that I want to hide things. It's not to say that if I'm in a bad mood, I want to, I want to hide that. What I'm saying is I want this to be an exercise where for an hour a week I can be a positive person. And I, I think, you know, for the most part I am. I, I tend to want the world to be... I, I tend to want the world to be a better place. No, I do want the world to be a better place. And I think, you know, the role that I play in that is it's it's up to me. I can focus on uh, bad things going on in my life or in the world and spend all day screaming about it. Or... I can recognize that there's something going on and not so much sugarcoat it, but at least say, okay, what am I going to do about it? What can I do to fix it? And, you know, that that's a just a tone, a tone thing, even though I did my best this week to not plan this out. Um, that's part of what I was thinking, was what are, what, what are my rules for this? I don't need to have rules, but come on, let's. what are my rules? I'll break with, um, first of all, I'll break with one of my rules right now and then tell you that, that I did kind of plan this part out, but I'm trying not to memorize it or do it verbatim. And I was thinking about the rules. <clears throat> rule number one, breathe. <laughs> yeah, so rule number one, inhale. Rule number two, exhale. Another part of it is not planning ahead. Please note, these rules are subject to change without notice. I, I just like the idea of not planning ahead because it's a different muscle that I'm exercising. And I don't know if you've noticed uh, the times I've, that I've panicked. Panic's not the right word, but there have been a number of times in the last several minutes where I, I, I looked down at the time and I went, oh my God. I still got like half hour to go and I don't know what I'm going to say. But I didn't know, I didn't know what I was going to say to start with. So that's not anything different. And right now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying not to try. It's a balancing act. I'm, I'm not feeling totally natural at this yet. And I guess maybe that's good. I, I, it, it, it's not a natural act. Is it? Although I have been doing this since I was a kid. I was trying to remember the other day when I got my first cassette recorder. <sighs> I'm, I gotta, maybe, maybe I was 10, maybe even younger. Probably elementary school. I have vague memories of recording stuff when I was maybe in 5th or 6th grade. I know definitely by the time I was in 7th grade I was recording stuff. And I just thought everybody did that. But over the years when I've talked to people, I've found out that not everybody did that. So I guess that was just an early sign that uh, I was going to be doing something in the entertainment industry to one extent or another. So now I'm doing this. I've, I've never done recording for an hour. So that's the difference. But you know that there's this thing that I felt years ago and that I've heard other people say where they, they don't like, like to hear the sound of their voice when it's uh, in a recorder or they don't like seeing themselves on video. But I've, I've gotten used to it. I, I, I guess just the my mind has adjusted because people will say, oh, my voice sounds so much different. My voice sounds, oh, God, I don't like the way my voice sounds. And um, I've gotten used to it. I, I think the brain makes adjustments. And that's at least my explanation for it. Whatever the reason is, I just, I, I don't have a problem with listening to my voice. <laughs> that sounds funny. You know, that's an insult to people. I know that's an insult. You go, when you say, hey, somebody likes the sound of their voice. Okay, so there's that. But, you know, there's another side of me that likes to shut the fuck up, too. Believe it or not, I am capable I am capable. I have sat through many a meeting and not said a word. There's some people 
you just know it. every time you get in, it, it, every time you go into a, a certain situation with certain friends or coworkers, some people will, they will never sit through a, a meeting of any length. It doesn't matter if it's ten minutes, fifteen minutes, an hour. It doesn't matter. They have to say something. And I'm not one of those kind of people. I obviously have the ability to speak. I am proving that right now. Whether you say it's interesting or not, or whether I say it's interesting or not, that's that's not for me to decide. I had a, a compliment from one of my three listeners last week who you know, about the sound of my voice, about the lack of accent, about, you know, just, he made some reference to being the kind of voice you could hear on on the news. <laughs> or, I don't even remember the exact, it was NBC or something. Oh, I could look it up, but I don't want to. That's another rule. But But let me close that point first of all. It was like, it was a nice compliment. And... It it also drove the point home that while I, at some point when I was talking last week, I thought, oh God, I'm being monotonous. Where's the rhythm in my voice? What, where is the variety? Where's the music? Where's the musicality? And you know, it's it's not up for me to decide that. Although, you know, I mean, I have a certain natural rhythm. Everybody has a certain rhythm to their voice, and I was uh, just watching a documentary today about that. It wasn't all about that, but it was a documentary about voiceover artists. And I don't remember the name of the documentary, but it was one of the things they were talking about was was the certain, the relationship to, between uh, voiceover and music. And people who do voices, there's a they they got this. They know that there's a certain musicality to everybody's voice when they were doing the uh, Christopher Walken or and I'm not gonna do that. I do a terrible Christopher Walken. But that was you know that turns out to be a marketable skill. Actually, a lot of these voiceover artists say that it's the fact that they some of them can't do very impressions very well. Their bad impressions turn into unique characters. Uh, Tom Kenny, the guy who does the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. That's what he said. In fact, he, he this combination of SpongeBob was actually a mashup of a few different impersonations that he doesn't do well, but that made made it into a unique character. And and then there's that sing songiness to it that everybody, some people's voices go up and down, some people go up at the end, some people are are faster talkers, some people are slower talkers, and some people will talk like this, and then some people. Yeah, you know what voices are. You've heard voices. I just thought it was interesting, the crossover in skills between um, people doing voice and, and music. I guess that shouldn't be surprising, though, because everything's connected. Uh, music and math are connected, too. And that's why I've always thought that when people say that they have a problem, you know, maybe people that are really good at music, but they they don't like technical stuff, or they don't like to go on that, you know, the logical side of their brain. It surprises me because there's so much, they're so connected. There's so much math involved in music. Maybe not the interesting part, but it's, it's a foundation. Math is a foundation of music. There's time signatures, there's rhythm, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of numbers you can throw about. But we all have the things we're interested in, and those that we're not. So if somebody likes, just because somebody likes playing the drums or, or playing the guitar, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to like math. That would be kind of silly to say that everybody had to like that, had to like math. You know why? You know why everybody has to like math? Because I like math. That's why. I'm trying not to be conscious of the time, but I just looked down and it's uh, 39 minutes. So, where's the rules? That was another rule. Talk for an hour. Another rule. No editing. 
no pausing during the recording and no going back later and doing anything to it. Uh, another one that's not so much of a rule, but it's just a little minor thing I came up with. Uh, another one of my three listeners suggested that I put a little uh, music clip at the front. There's this little um, music clip from one of my songs that I use on my YouTube videos. And I I bookend my YouTube videos with uh, with these guitar riffs. And she recommended that I open with that on this thing. And it was, a, it was a compliment too, because she said, well, you know, I know when I hear that little riff that it's about to be a Joe Palin thing. And I, I had considered it both even before she said it. And also after she said it, I thought, yeah, that'd be a good idea. But then it was occurring to me today as I was, first of all, I was kind of struggling with, struggling with the uh, technology. <laughs> it's not that I can't add the music clip, but I was, I was just messing around with it on the Mac, and I went, uh, you know what, I, at some point I stopped and I went, part of me said it's not worth it, but the bigger part of me thought is the philosophy, or I could say it's a rationalization, and my, so my rationalization is that one of my rules is that this is its own thing, I want to keep this pure, <laughs> pure and separate from the things I have done before. So I'm not going to add that little guitar riff at the front. I, I do appreciate her recommendation. That, that was that was cool. And and all the reason I'm not even mentioning um, these uh, people by name. It's not because um, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't. I just don't feel like I should without their permission. I guess I don't know what what the reason is. I'm just not I'm just not mentioning them. That's all. It's kind of a right to privacy thing, maybe something. I mentioned Mark Marin though. But I feel different about mentioning Mark Marin because Mark Marin has put himself out in the public. So I've I'm mentioning him in the context of he's somebody that I know from his work. I know him from the work he has produced and he willfully, willingly puts out there. But the people who've listened to me and have made uh, comments on Facebook, I just, I just feel I could give a shout out to them. But I'll just, I guess maybe that's another rule. I don't want to specifically talk about uh, people in my personal life by name, unless I'm really pissed off at them. Then fuck them, right? I mean, isn't that the rule? Isn't that the rule? But, but let's get back to my wanting to portray my best self thing. Yeah, sure, there might be times when I, I turn on the recorder and I might be having a really bad week or something and I just want to have a, a total bitch fest, but I would rather stay away from that. What I, what I want the tone of this to be is that it's something that f for me to, both for me as I'm doing it and for other people who might be listening, that it's something, if, if not, it, it may not be uplift. It may be uplifting, yeah, that's easy for me to say. If it's not uplifting, it's at least not destructive. But another rule, and I think I mentioned this in the very first week, is I don't want to try to be uplifting. I don't want to try to be anything. I don't want to try to be entertaining or, or humorous. This is totally different from when I've set out to produce various videos or when I've done stand-up or when I've... Uh, performed at coffee houses with my guitar. Uh, all of those were, uh, I'd plan ahead of time and I would have certain expectations and I'd put a certain, um, you know, a certain oomph into it. Like, yeah, I'm going to make this happen and it's going to be it's gonna be this thing I'm going to do, man. And it's going to be great. And uh, You know what? I don't want this to be that. And it's not. <laughs> So far, I think mission accomplished, but I'm not trying to be entertaining or philosophical or I'm not trying to be anything. Although I guess one thing I did say, I'm contradicting myself somewhat because I said I am trying to be, um, at least set a positive tone. But I think that's different. You know, certain rules, like I want to talk for an hour and I want to, I want to uh, at least 
if if not be uplifting or philosophical or not to have those specific kind of goals, but at least to to not be an asshole for this hour. And speaking of asshole and fuck, shit, tit, piss, all that, uh, that's another rule that I have here is I'm, uh, I'm going to earn my iTunes explicit tag on a weekly basis. Not so much that I'm doing that intentionally, but it's unfiltered, it's uncensored, and that's another rule is I, I, I don't want to have any rules, right? Right? Am I right? I don't want to censor myself. I censor myself. I mean, censorship has its place. It's nice that somebody can know when they, like, like broadcast television. I think censorship is good on broadcast television. Because it's a place where people can go where they know that they're not going to hear fuck shit tit piss. Right? I could do the George Carlin shit piss cunt fuck cocksucker motherfucker and tits. I think that was it. Yes. I have totally earned my explicit tag this week. Totally. And I don't want to... I'm not going to be gratuitous about it and say I have to say fuck just for the sake of saying it. I don't want it to be a comma... I think people can get carried away. But even then, okay, i got to pull myself back on the reins there, because who am I to say? If somebody wants to say fuck every other word, that's fine. I'm just not one of those kind of people. On the other hand, I'm also the kind of person that when I am talking, at some point, you know, shit's going to come out. I'm going to say shit just because shit is the right word to say for certain situations. That's another rule. I'm not going to censor myself. Other than that, okay, so I got, it seems like a lot of rules, doesn't it? On the, on the one hand, it does, but on the other hand, it doesn't. I look down, 47. Which brings me to rule number one. Go for an hour. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. But this is part of my challenge. If I don't set certain parameters, if I don't force myself to talk for an hour, then... I don't know, it just doesn't feel the same. If I just said, well, I'm going to talk for a while, you know, then I go and stop after five minutes. That would be easy enough to do. Actually, as it turns out, even though <sighs> I mentioned earlier, i got to remember to breathe. As I mentioned earlier that there have been a number of times during this where I thought, oh, I could bail. Why not? I really don't know that I have anything else to say. But that's not, that's not right. That's like, uh, this goes back to um, habits from years ago, good habits from years ago when I was playing sports. When you're playing sports, you finish the game. You finish the game. You go until the final whistle blows. When you're lifting weights and you're, you're doing four sets of ten, damn it, you do four sets of ten. <laughs> you don't quit along the way. There's one thing that I've modified over the years, though. While I do like those rules, I do like those rules. Over the years, I've realized that just because you stop doing something, that doesn't make you a quitter. You can't finish everything you start. And that's on a macro and a micro level. Sometimes you, you get into a career, so it's more macro, you get into a career and you go, you know, I'm not really enjoying this. I don't like this career. So what do you do? You tough it out or do you quit? At some point you quit. Find something else. There's no rule that says you have to keep banging your head against the wall just because you, you started down a path. Just because you became a lawyer and you hate being a lawyer doesn't mean you have to keep being a lawyer. In fact, I think that's that's one of the more common uh, professions that I hear people being ex somethings. Ex ex lawyers are very common. At least in my memory, when I hear people talking about that they went on to write a screenplay, or they became a comedian, or they're a musician, or they're you know in a creative endeavor. When I, and, and I'm mainly focusing on 
hearing people talking about uh, being in creative endeavors because those are the ones that I'm most likely to hear from on a podcast or on a on a documentary. They were ex-lawyers. So that just, I've always found that a little bit interesting. Telling maybe? I don't know. What does that say about, what does that say about law? Well, I know it's tough. Everything's tough, you know? Everything's tough and everything's easy. I, I've, I've been finding things at work to, to be flowing a lot better over the last few years. The same job I had before, same kind of job I've had before, but I'm, I'm finding myself coping more. Coping more better. I'm finding myself using words more better. I'm finding myself getting along with people better. It's, it's not that I've been in situations my entire life where I didn't get along with people, but, you know, there have been enough times where the job was just like, Oh, my God, I hate this. I hate this so much. And in some of those situations, well, then I went to another project or changed careers. I mean, the one drastic thing I did at some point in the late 80s, 1989 to be exact, is I, I quit. I was a software engineer and I quit to give stand-up comedy a, a shot. And I'd been doing it for a few years before that. But the main point is that just this whole idea that quitting something is always a bad thing is something stuck in my head from my childhood. Oh, gee, I don't want to name names, but you can guess. It's the usual parents, teachers, right? Coaches. Only quitters quit. No, sometimes it's not quitting. It's just stopping. It's just changing course. It's just a necessary part of life. And especially now, I mean, more than ever, I think, it, it used to be that you could have a career at the same place for 25 or 30 years, but good luck with that now. Good luck with that. And I think that's a good thing. It's Is it scary? Hell, yeah, it's scary. Not having job security, that's scary. But it's also exciting, because look at the opportunities. I think about now, I'm 54 years old, and I, I wear that on my sleeve, as if I have a choice. Actually, I do. I could, I could go to the plastic surgeon, or get some Botox, or, you know dye my hair blue. Although that could maybe make me look older. Depends on the shade of blue. You know, if it's that kind of shade of blue that you see in a retirement home, then that could make me look older. Maybe if I got a perm and dyed my hair light blue, that would make me look even older. Uh, just for the record, since this is an audio podcast, I have gray hair. I, I could say it's salt and pepper, but it's, it's mostly salt. I really went off the rails there, didn't I? Except to say, yeah, I forgot my train of thought, except now I'm, I'm kind of back on it. It was, it's the idea that it's not much of a chance, I think, that you're going to have the same kind of career for 25 or 30 years. And that, fine. Just keep retraining. I'm, uh, that was it. I'm 54. And I mentioned that specifically because I go, you know, it, it, it would have been a number of years ago that I would have had to have moved up or out. That, that was always the expression. There's no way you're going to continue doing technical stuff. You're not going to continue to to write code when you're in your 50s. Are you kidding me? At that point, you have to be a manager or you have to get out of the business, go find something else to do. Go open a flower shop. Become a security guard. You know, you're not going to be somebody who's writing code when you're in your 50s. But here I am. I'm in my 50s. And I'm writing code. Is that the primary part of my job? 
No, but in my mind, it's it's the core of it. It's what's keeping me happier in my job. Because when I've identified that there's uh, something that needs to be done better, more efficiently, uh, easier for myself or for my teammates, I'll, I'll write some code. You know, it's a, it's a skill that I've got and I've had for over 30 years, so I'm... I still get to use that skill. So part of me feels that maybe the world's changed. Maybe the reason that I'm allowed to do this in my 50s is just because um, programming has been around for a while and there's not a large enough, large enough talent pool of young people to fill the jobs. So, yeah, there's going to be some old programmers now. So I guess that's it. I'm like growing up with the industry. Yeah, that part I don't take credit for. But the part I do take credit for is that in a sense, I've reverse engineered my job. I've made opportunities for more work for myself to make myself more valuable by offering to write code to do things that had been done manually. So in that sense, part of it is, yeah, I'll take ownership for that. I like taking ownership for stuff, especially when it, you know, it makes me look good, right? <laughs> but seriously, I take ownership. I like having my thing or my things that I do at work that are mine, that, I, uh, that people know that if they come to me and they ask me to do something, it's going to get done. You know, the buck stops here. I'm not one that's going to utter the phrase, you know, that's not my job. Now, in some instances, if it really is not my job, um, I might say that. Not, not in those exact words, but I'll say, well, I don't do that. However, comma, I'll, I'll, find, I'll try to help them find the person who does do that. You know, it's, there's at least going to be a handoff. I remember I explicitly learned that years ago. I went to this training. I was working for a small um, government contractor, and they sent us to this training, this quality assurance, or what were they calling it at the time? Total quality management. It changes names over the years, but that was uh, somewhere in the early to mid-90s. And what they did is they sent us to this training back in Boston, at the, and we stayed at the Ritz-Carlton. And that's also where the training was held. And now, if you don't know, or even if you do know, <laughs> Ritz-Carlton is a fancy schmancy hotel. I'd never stayed at such a nice hotel. They had elevator operators wearing white gloves. And it was very nice. They had, you know, okay, it, maybe this doesn't seem all so fancy, but, you know, they had your own, your own robe in the closet. And... You know, it was the chocolate on the pillow and that kind of stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most ritzy place in the world to have the chocolate on the pillow, but it was all the all the nice touches and then some. And the re one of the reasons they had us that stay there is because this place had won the Malcolm Baldridge Award for service. So it was a full immersion thing. We were getting this top-notch training for a week, and we were people from all over the country had come to this training and. We were staying in a place that practiced what was being preached to us. And the one thing that I remember about ownership was this elevator operator with the white gloves. I asked him, I, I wanted to go see a show or something, maybe a comedy show, and I asked him for help. And he didn't just point me where to go. He said, come here, sir. And he got my name and he took me over to the concierge. And he introduced me told her what it was that I was looking for. And then he wanted to make sure that as soon as I was happy with the fact that he had expressed my concerns or my, my, what I wanted, then he let me go. Or then he kind of backed away, right? But here's the impressive part. The next day or a couple days later, that elevator operator saw me. He went out of his way to come over to me, remembered my name, said, so, Mr. Palin, uh, did you uh, get tickets to that show you were looking for? Not only had he taken the time to walk me over to the concierge to make sure that I wasn't just left 
stranded in the lobby. He handed me off, and he also followed up later. So that's something that I really like to uh, keep doing over the years. And I kind of knew about that kind of good service before, but that was my full immersion. Full immersion. And look, what do you know? I'm over an hour now. So there you go. Week number two, episode two. I've got nothing to say, but it's okay.